Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to um, our guests, and um, thank you for coming to listen to Anna talk about this really interesting and really timely topic. Um, so Anna is an interdisciplinary researcher um, in the medical sociology and health experiences research group at the primary care department. Um, with loads of experience <laughs> of diverse topics and qualitative studies. Um, so she's going to talk about the um, opportunities and challenges related to rapid qualitative research. And obviously this isn't a new thing, rapid qualitative research. There's been decades of um, people using and developing the methods around qu um, rapid qualitative research. But still there's a lot of controversy around the topic and some people thinking it's a bit, or is it just fast and sloppy? Others, other people thinking about the opportunities that it um, gives researchers to provide perhaps some more timely time, um, findings. So Anna is going to go into the detail based on her experience and her knowledge of um, rapid qualitative research. So over to you. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for coming. And oh no, thank you, for, thank you for inviting me. Um, so yeah, I'm Anna. I, it's the end of the day. What day is it? Tuesday? <laughs> Is it already? I feel like it's Friday, so we're all we're all here for a good time, you know, rather than um, uh, a kind of like deep, intense, like theoretical exploration. So there's lots of examples, and I'm going to more try and just talk you through, you know, I've done like a few different types of this, some which has gone well and some which has gone very badly, and for different kinds of reasons. So I'll spin a few yarns and tell you some of my stories, and then also try and show you where you can find more information when maybe when you're feeling a bit more um like awake considering those of you at least who've been on the course you've probably had quite a long day and then also we can we can make it a bit chatty if you want to talk as we go through you can ask questions um and i can either answer them then or i can tell you it's coming up so you don't need to worry so basically we can do we can try and be a bit interactive about it and what else I'll try and do like maybe like 30 minutes. You don't want to listen to me talk for an hour, something like that. And then we can maybe have more of a discussion because I imagine, well, actually, let's do a bit of a poll. Like, has anyone, so who here has done like any qualitative research before? Okay, most people, right, great. Who has um, done any rapid qualitative research before? Okay, a few of you, right. And who's like interested in it? Who's like kind of feeling out there? Okay, most people, right, great. So everyone, yeah, hence being here. So all you're just here to like be like, you know, no, like put a stop to it. Um, okay, so this is good. So there's like a bit of, and obviously like a lot of you have been on the course anyway, so you're getting to grips with it. So I think this is going to be, hopefully at the end of this, you're going to come away thinking like it's not one or the other. And like, I think the main purpose for me is to kind of give away the ending. It's more about the questions that you're asking and what methods suit the questions rather than like some people are like everything has to be done quickly now or rapid's better or slow's better and I think that's not the case to sit on the fence. Um, but anyway, so we'll be talking about well what it is because actually that's a bit vague. Um, uh, it's not always easy to identify that. Um, <coughs> some reasons why you might want to do it and then some thinking about how you could do it well if you did want to. And then also I think it's important to discuss why you might not want to. And then, you know, a bit of kind of like motivational speaking at the end about why it might be for you or not. Um, okay, so this is just a bit about me, a bit of context. 
so yeah so now I, I work currently in um, the Department for Primary Care Health Sciences in a medical sociology research group but I was not always a researcher I had a life before research like my pre-PhD life uh, and I I never even wanted to be a researcher because I thought it all takes too long and it's too um, too laborious so I like started out more in like the policy advocacy kind of charity sector so like the first job I had I worked for this breast cancer charity and there I did um, rapid evaluations of breast cancer services so I would kind of work with um, work with different like uh, hospitals around the country and then kind of like lead them through service evaluations um, so you can kind of see a little cycle it's called a service pledge and then that was um that was fraught with problems but you know that was like a good kind of start into that's what you know what rapid projects can look like outside of an academic setting and then i worked for a dementia charity called alzheimer's society and that was a lot more policy research focused so again that tended to be quite rapid studies but that was kind of rapid projects with a view to informing policy that was happening which i think is a lot of why people might want to do rapid stuff um, and then I got sick of doing everything really quickly because I felt like I was doing a bad job and then I did a very long-winded kind of like ethnographic PhD where I was looking at like primary care the primary care response to domestic violence so again it was like a lot of working with kind of the third sector but looking at the collaborations between the third sector and primary care so that was you know like the your classic like two years of field work really like immersive which was good but also kind of brought out some different things but even during that time so the, the project's called iris i was doing shorter projects then kind of like i suppose more kind of like evaluation or consultancy pieces for the charities i was working with and then more recently i got my kind of baptism of fire through like official um official rapid research in a uh, in like a formal setting through a lot of um a big project, uh, like a big COVID project, basically. That was the first time I'd really kind of gone like full immersion in rapid methods. And I learned a lot of what I know about this from, from the people I met during that project. So basically I've done it in a lot of different ways and I can kind of, from different perspectives. So from both the kind of people who use that kind of evidence or are trying to use evidence to make change and also from like the production side. So I think I, I can see a lot of different angles of it, basically. Um, so what is it? So sometimes we talk about rapid, it gets a bit mixed up with urgency. So say in the context of the pandemic, of course it was urgent. We didn't know what was happening. And in other previous pandemics or epidemics or in natural disasters or things like that, there's a sense of urgency about getting research done which doesn't necessarily translate to it being done quickly, but there can be a sense of like, we, we should do it quickly. And then there's rapid as just quick, like it's just happens um, more. It's like you take your normal research methods and there's a sense of you're just pressing kind of like times two speed or something more than that. But then I think that the slightly more nuanced way to think about it is it's timely rather than just quick because that kind of orients it towards well, what are you trying to do like who are you trying to speak to if research is for a purpose you've probably got an audience in mind and actually what's a good time like how are you syncing up these like slow research processes with what might actually be happening in the real world other way and then also i think it's just like uh rapid can just be relatively quicker because you know actually in a in a policy research sense a rapid project would literally be like two weeks whereas like rapid research academic research might be like six months rather than um 
two years. So I think rapid is also relative to what your kind of starting framework was. So who's looking? And so this is the, like very generally the features of rapid research tend to have this more kind of iterative design. So it's kind of changing as you go through and you're collecting data and you're analyzing it and then maybe you're reframing the research questions. It's all a bit more flexible. And there's usually some element of participatory research. Usually if it's like, if you've got a focus, fixed focus of like a decision-making process you want to be involved in, you've probably involved those people in the design of the research to some degree. Otherwise you wouldn't know exactly how you wanted to inform them. Um, there's often multiple methods of data collection. You might be doing like interviews and some observations or looking at documents or getting data off social media or, um, or yeah, just like, a, like basically it's not just one qualitative method. It's like the whole host of qualitative methods because you're maybe just trying to like maximize the data you can get in a short space of time. And it m almost exclusively involves team-based research because you kind of need more person power to get all of this done. And then the short time frame, it's either a short time frame, so a few weeks or a few months, or it might be a long time frame, but with kind of like multiple cycles of data collection that inform a project as it goes through. We can talk about that a bit more. Um, and why does time even matter? Well, well, these are where the debates about time come in, because there's the big question of rigor. Well, you know, and everyone's always like, well, is it rigorous? And then there is a sense of like, well, it doesn't matter what method you're doing, that there's like an amount of time that is appropriate for that method. Have you got enough time to do the research well? And that's this kind of nebulous, it's difficult to set a time on like, we need this amount of time to do an ethnography or something like that. Um, I think some of the people don't talk about as much as kind of practicality of like, well, some things just don't have to take a long time. You know, you could... What's the scale of the project that you're doing? Like, what are the methods that you're using? Do you need a really long time to do that? Or can you do that a bit quick, a bit more quickly, a bit quicker? And also, I think there's the practicality of like, what else have you got on in your life? Like, is it worth doing it quickly because you've got something else coming up or you're finishing something else off? Or like, there's things that aren't anything to do with work that you might be like, I just would like to get this project out of my hair because I've got another life event that's happening. So I think those things actually are really important. But then there's this point about timeliness of how do we make, how do we produce re research at the right time for it to be useful, which I imagine a lot of us are motivated to some degree by the sense that we'd like our work to be impactful, we'd like it to, we like, are thinking about something in a lot of depth, we'd probably like it to be, to contribute to the issue that we're looking at, so, but this is also again quite like a philosophical question, like what does it mean to be useful, useful to who, and then this idea about informing decision making as well, you know, that can be a bit, um, what exactly does that mean? Like, is it just that like, there's another document on the table in front of a group of people around a table making a decision? Or does it mean that like, you're considered an expert and you get to be involved in that decision as well? You know, I think these are, so th these are all important questions, but I think it's still, it's not yet kind of fixed what timeliness means either. Um, and I'll mention this, but like, people have actually been using rapid methods for very, 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 very long time. And these are, I just want to illustrate this with like, um, often it's like, it's considered that it's your anthropologist, your people who do like really, really long in-depth field work. And they're the ones who are like, well, you couldn't possibly do rapid methods. That would be completely inappropriate. So these two people are some of like the founding members of, uh, of European anthropology. 
so Maria Kaplitska, she was actually the first female anthropology lecturer at Oxford University and Claude Levi Strauss, um, who was French and then but did a lot of his work. So she did a lot of her work in Siberia and he did a lot of his work in, um, in the Amazon. And they both basically did what we would now call like rapid ethnography. They spent like a few days in lots of different places. So admittedly, they did do quite a lot of field work, but they really didn't spend much time. And they, they more like their version of studying, they were more almost like canvassing like a whole like range of different um, situations, which I think is actually then pretty much what we've come round to, back round to today with rapid research. It's like what are you, they're trying to get like snapshots of different things that were happening and then build up a bigger picture. So I think these, there's also just a sense of trends, right? People don't really talk about the fact that they, they did their research like this, but actually it's kind of, it's not a, it wasn't controversial then. And I think it kind of comes back around to, so it's kind of like different, different questions of what ends up being useful. And I think this, again, this was in the eighties, people were talking about this, Scrimshaw and Hitata. And these, these guys did a lot of work on like rapid assessment processes, which I'll talk about later. So they asked this question, this quite provocative question, which I think still stands is like, how long do we need to spend in the field really? How, long, how much, data do we need to collect to be able to say something useful and um and then i guess for me this means like well it depends what question you're trying to answer maybe a year is useful maybe five years is useful but maybe you could do something over the course of a few weeks and so i think this ends up coming down to this is my first ever self-made meme um the, the there's a sense that like it's actually a lot of it's actually just like a bit of like a turf war you know, when we're like, we're fighting ourselves within the field, you know, there's some people who are like, I'm really, I really believe in like long-term methods because like it enables you to do this kind of critical in-depth research and build these relationships. And then there's these other people who are like, but we're trying to be really relevant and like, we're trying to be, you know, and say in the context of like emergency situations, we want people to think like, let's get the qualitative researchers in as well. And actually, I think it's like, it's a fight over, it, it's, a, it's because qualitative methods in general are sometimes downgraded relative to, to quantitative methods, which are always seen as useful, no matter kind of what time scale it's done on or what kind of breadth it is. So I think it's like we're trying to almost like fighting for scraps when actually we could just be like, well, everything's got its place. Um, and yeah, like I said, the people I, I kind of met at the start of the pandemic, so the, like Cecilia, and Ginger, like they, they were also kind of leading this work. So they, they run something called um, the Rapid Research and Evaluation and Appraisal Lab at UCL. Um, and they would have kind of like already scoped out a lot of this territory just before the COVID pandemic started because they'd been working on other health emergencies. They'd done this big review. Now this, they actually tell a really good story about this paper. So this paper is now like so highly cited. And it took them years to get this published. And they went to so many different journals because um, everyone was like, oh, rapid methods, like it's not worth it. Like they're not, you know, all of these questions, they're not rigorous, like no one cares about this. And then like, as soon as then the COVID pandemic started, everyone was like, all's forgiven. Oh, <laughs> please teach us what you know. Um, and then I feel really lucky that I, that I basically, I kind of fell into working with them. Do you remember when everyone was just like, I must do something useful at the start of the pandemic. And I knew someone who knew 
Cecilia who was doing a project and I was like I'll do anything like please let me come and work with you uh, for free I'll just try and be helpful to you um, but yeah they've basically done a lot of the groundwork of the kind of like I suppose like that they brought it up to date like where where was the field because obviously people also do this all the time particularly in like development which I think is where Ginger did more of her work it's actually like a lot of the time it is just in like development and aid programs rapid methods are there was actually a lot of expertise that had been developed, um, but then it hadn't necessarily been synthesized for like an academic audience and people were just being kind of snobby about it, I think. Um, but then there's been lots of like for ages, there's been lots of situations where it has been used and people have been happy with it and thought it's been productive. So um, it seems to be good for and I've got some examples coming up for like short term, like decisions are coming up and like you know, we want to be able to inform these kinds of decisions about like whether to um, invest more in a service or less or um, oh, that's, a, that's probably the main example for that one. And then it's like, what does a particular group of people think about an issue? Like whether that's like a novel issue or like often this, this idea about are they willing to engage in something? Like is there a new intervention or approach or treatment? Like and actually it can just be very useful to get a snapshot again of what people think about it. Um, or snapshot of how like a yeah how a service is working like across a number of different actors and then i guess there's the sense that sometimes services sometimes things have already started being implemented and so you want to actually see what's happening live you know because as much as we'd like to think that you know policy is led by evidence it often isn't and things just happen and then actually evidence and then research can step in at that point to kind of um join the party a bit later um, and then I think the one that we've been most familiar with recently is this idea of things that change or disappear rapidly. So you kind of have to get in there quick because they won't be around for a long time. So some examples. Um, this was a very successful rapid project where, so this is the idea that like um, rapid methods can inform um, public health messages in, in an emerging crisis. And so this was uh, during Zika. Um, in the British Virgin Islands, basically in the, sorry, the US Virgin Islands. Um, basically, they were just telling everyone to, uh, the public health messaging was all just around avoiding mosquitoes, when actually in the context of Zika, which was um, having affected, you know, relate the, one of the consequences as birth defects. Mostly what people were interested in or were concerned about was kind of family planning, like contraception, um, and like avoiding unwanted pregnancies, which actually was a general issue. So they did this rapid research, this research team, and then they found out actually kind of the, the way in which people wanted to be informed and the things they wanted information about. And then they worked with the Red Cross and then they actually developed a hugely, uh, they rapidly developed a hugely successful public health kind of strategy around Zika. So that was, that one went very well. Um, and again, they did this over like, uh, this was a few weeks. This was a really short, they just did two, two groups of, two focus groups, well, two like men and women focus groups. They did a few different, they probably spoke to about 40 of each and then they managed to get, um, yeah, they managed to kind of actually do something that seemed to be useful for people. Um, another one that's really popular and again has been going on for quite a long time is to do with trials. And so trials cost so much money. Um, and then if they can't recruit, uh, everyone is really annoyed. Um, and so often, qualitative methods are used as a bit of a handmaiden um, in trials to actually make sure like do 
do interventions work for patients and then they can kind of and then you can kind of build it's often a bit a bit more formally staged you know you get things like a stepped wedge trial where you can change things at different points but generally it means that uh, if something's not working you can use qualitative methods to see like is it the intervention is it the recruitment methods is it something to do with the patients is it something to do with the staff whatever and so in this one they basically found that um so I thought this was interesting because like if they hadn't have done this qualitative study they might have just thought that this intervention um this kind of fluid therapy intervention was not acceptable or was not you know good for patients but the patients actually had they were finding it really hard to recruit patients were finding it like very difficult um so the team were finding it very difficult to do the route to get the kind of recruitment figures but that was mostly I mean it's not really a surprise they just didn't have the right number of staff and like the staff weren't like kind of well integrated or like the staff hadn't integrated the trial very well into the workflows so actually then they did that and then it all worked a lot better and the, it was totally acceptable to patients and patients were up for it and you know just anyway it made the trial work a lot better so I think that's I mean I also think you could have found that out before sometimes I'm like you're using qualitative research for things that are kind of obvious but still it still helped so um and then so you can basically you can build this in at different stages of trials uh, to see to kind of like help with trial processes um this one was also interesting because this is um i think this one's a bit more about this kind of like snapshot and also this one this one was pretty clever because it was it was comparative which i have found tricky which i'll talk about later how you compare things across different countries but basically they did like a um, system mapping of these like perioperative care pathways so there's often this big pressure to um, there's goals around access to surgical treatments in low and middle income countries but there isn't the same infrastructure around well actually what's the care that happens kind of before during after surgery and so this study was like mapping out um, the kind of perioperative care pathways so they did like um, stakeholder interviews, ethnographic observations, and um, system mapping. And it did just bring up a picture, but it really showed kind of how um, lots of things that I wouldn't have necessarily even thought about, like one of the big problems was not even the quality of care, but was actually like the indirect, the unexpected costs that patients had to have to like access services. So like how much did it cost them to get to the hospital or to like have food while they were there or, you know, stuff like that. So I think that this one, and again, it was all done quickly, but I think it, what it really did was it, it started a lot of different conversations about what, resor what resources are needed around having like a, a whole pathway. So that was more like a kind of a bird's eye view of a pathway. Um, and this one, again, this one is very, really common. You get a lot of like barriers and facilitators type of studies like this. Um, and so, and again, this is happening like way before the pandemic about kind of whether if they're going to introduce a new, so this was the idea that they were going to introduce these mobile health units um, for antiretroviral treatments uh, in Mozambique. And then they just kind of, uh, they more were just scoping out, well, would you use this? Like, would this be useful to you? And then they basically said, again, it's not that surprising, like, it would be really useful. Can we get other healthcare services in the mobile units at the same time? You know, because like to deal with other things too. So then that kind of would have increased the acceptability or the use of it in general. So I guess it's like, I mean, it doesn't seem like rocket science, right? It's like quite like simple questions, things that can be immediately useful. A lot of this was done in partnership with, um, with uh, kind of like people who are like more actively involved in the issues as well as the researchers. But then I guess the big question is how we speed things up. 
Oh, what? Any questions as we go through? How are we doing? How long have I been going for? Yeah. 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 Was it intended that the qualitative research would run in parallel right from the beginning? Or yeah. is it like you're an emergency service that's drafted in to find out what's going on when something isn't working? I think it's the, all of them, well, particularly the trial, it was there from the beginning. But I think trialists have just learned that it just saves them time and money and gets them better results if they, like, pop that in. Um, and then the other ones were all planned as, I suppose I'm thinking about, like, the... They're like mobile. I imagine it went. There's something about reporting standards which we can also come to later, but um, they don't always say what the impetus was, like who decided it. But I think generally it tends to be like someone saying, We want to do this intervention, or there's this emergency, like how do we know what's going to work or not? Because again, it's often driven by cost, right? People want to know if it's going to be, if people are going to use something before they invest in it before they roll it out in a, in, a big in a big way. Or with the public health thing, it wasn't really working. Like there were a lot of Zika infections in the US Virgin Islands. So I guess they were like, we need to do something about this. Like there's a global, like the, the, the uh, eyes of the global on us. And like, so they were doing worse than other places. So I guess it's a bit, it's a bit like drawing in the emergency services when they're like, oh, we need to work out what's happening. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, great segue directly into <laughs> um, the next. Exactly the next point. So thank you. It's like we planned it. Um, the uh, so these are the different ways that you can kind of speed things up, and um, so I've just broken this down into like different research stages, and this is kind of taken from the literature and just from some of my own experiences too. And also there'll probably be definitely things on here that I haven't thought about. So if you want to add anything, that's great. Um, so the funding bit in like approvals, ethical approvals is like, is very tricky. I don't know how many people, it's difficult to get around that. So you can like, sometimes funders put out rapid calls. So through COVID there was a lot of like, we'll get back, we'll make a decision within a few weeks type of thing. And you can get sometimes get rapid ethical approval, fast tracked, or you can actually start applying for ethics like before the project's been funded. You can also do work unfunded, so then you don't need to worry about um, acts. You know, if you've got if you can move money around in other ways. But like it really is my reflection on that. It's pretty much impossible to get people to do anything fast track unless it's considered urgent, like it's a global pandemic. If it's one of these like snapshot, how is this service working? There's not much reason why an ethics board should prioritize you. So that bit is really, that's a bit which I find quite kind of, that's the snail part of it. It's really hard to, to speed up the external bureaucracy. Um, with the research, you know, the, the next step is really the kind of research questions, like what are you asking? And it does work well to have like very specific questions, like will this mobile health service be acceptable? Um, like, do people find this trial recruitment procedure acceptable? You know, if you've got like a really focused question and a limited scope of inquiry, that helps too. And this kind of engaging with stakeholders to find out what's useful to them. That, that is like a really good way to do it. But then that's really tricky when not, I mean, most things are more complicated than that. Um, and particularly like an emergent issue, which you're trying to, even in the context of the pandemic, most recent pandemic, you know, it's like, 
it's an evolving, it's, you might ask one question one day, but then two weeks later, the question that is useful might be different. And if you like, I don't know how much scope and work you've ever done with stakeholders or stakeholder engagement, they've always got a lot of different opinions. So actually, it doesn't necessarily help to do a lot of kind of, you know, that work at the beginning. Whilst it's important, it doesn't necessarily help you to narrow down. Um, one of the main ways, like I said earlier, that you can speed up, speed things up is by having this like, larger, distributing the labour across like a large research team. And this seems to work best when you've got like a few very experienced researchers and then quite a lot of inexperienced researchers. Uh, and then it's kind of like a lot more, I think often research is a bit more like you just go out and you do your own thing and everyone's left to their own devices. But this operates on a more of a kind of like the, the experienced researchers really like hands-on directing the kind of field workers, as it were. Um, and that's like challenging if you haven't got like a team that works well, as with any of these things. And researchers are often really bad at teamwork as well, I find. Um, unless they've had like other professional experience and then like having these like more junior researchers I think is a you know you how they're going to get the right support and development and stuff like that because um, like you're kind of thrown in it's quite intense process um, and then in recruitment it actually does I mean I remember before I started doing any of this I was like oh you're never going to be able to recruit get like a good diverse sample. But then it's really, I think in, in these kind of projects, it only works when the researcher is very embedded in the community of interest. Because otherwise you just haven't got the time to like access people if, they, if you've got no relationship with the, with the community, whether that's like professionals or, or kind of patients or things like that. So uh, you can actually do really great, like reach very like hard to access people, but you can only reach those people. You can only reach the people that you've got like a close connection to or like your contacts have got a close connection to. And obviously the online um, recruitment really helps with that in the context of um, the pandemic. But in low and middle income countries, that just hasn't been a good way that they've to, to access people still just because of like um, digital access and things like that so you can really like a kind of the constraint there is that you can pretty much only do convenience sampling or a kind of a purposive sample where you're just looking at like a particular group and this idea of like a maximum variation sample where you're trying to get as wide a range of different people as possible is just it's super challenging um and in the data collection, you can do all these things like have standardized tools that everyone uses, remote data collection, you know, so remote interviewing, stuff like that. Like I said earlier, you can use like lots of different types of data and kind of triangulate within that. Also use of existing data, so like secondary analysis of data that you already have, um, data that you can just get in the real world, you know, documents and things like that, data you don't have to collect. Um, and then this has all of the usual considerations around any methods issue around like, well, who does that include? What's the breadth of the research? Like how, how responsive can like standard approaches be to change? Like if you need to change a study procedure, things like that. Um, for me, as I suppose, I think the thing that sets kind of ac academic research aside from other forms of research is the like analytical stage because um, that's what you know we spend like a long time learning how to do and that's you know what you've been doing those of you on the course and stuff like that and that's where I'll, I'll talk a bit more about this later this is where I think you have to make the quickest gains because like this is what the people want to hear like if you're trying to inform any decision making processes it's off the back of your analysis 
And so you need to be able to do this quickly and come up with some good ideas quickly. And so that can be facilitated by team-based analysis and use of these kind of team-based analysis tools, which I'll talk about. But it's, like, it's hard. Like I found this really hard when I was doing it. It's very iterative, so you have to keep on top of that. And then like, again, this idea, if there's an emergent problem or an emergent phenomena that you're looking at, it's gonna like change and the direction of, of, of your interest might change. So that is hard. I found that it's challenging. It's a whole different set of skills to keep on top of that. Um, and yes, I, I suppose it kind of relates to one of the earlier points, but engaging stakeholders is a way to speed things up too. Um, really having the people you, you wanna speak to involved from the get-go just means that you can um, make sure what you're doing is as useful as possible. And then the same things about how to navigate contradictory advice. And then the other thing that's always slow is like reporting um, because there's just another stage of bureaucracy, like how you write, you know, if you, it depends what we mean by reporting, you know, often in academic stuff, we want to have it peer reviewed. We want to have like uh, these kind of independent verifications of it. So how do you get writing done quickly? Um, how, like who's responsible for writing in teams? How do you do team-based like group writing and things like that? Preprints like have been really useful, I think, and got a lot more um, acceptable during the pandemic. So you can at least get it out there quickly. Um, and also the like, alternative, like, it doesn't always have to be a paper. You know, like these, like the Cecilia and Ginger, they do loads of infographics. Like they do lots of much more accessible. They do little videos, stuff that's just much more accessible if, for the people that they might be trying to get the. Um, get research to but again like team dynamics are involved there and again like who, you really need to think about who you're trying to speak to in order to be able to get that reporting done quickly um oh so this is the analysis section so i'm going to play you a little video because i think this bit is the if i get out of here i'll go back um because i think this is like this was the thing that i learned the most from i think about the analysis methods. Real has adapted a tool originally used in rapid assessment procedures or RAP to facilitate the collection and analysis of data in rapid qualitative research. RAP sheets are a table including the main categories of information collected in the study. These categories are based on the research questions, theoretical framework, or data collection instruments. As an interview is carried out, the researcher takes notes, even if they audio record the interview. The researcher then summarizes the key findings from the notes and adds them to the rap sheet. When she carries out an observation or another interview, she adds the key findings to the same rap sheet. The researcher will do this for each data source using the rap sheet as a triangulation tool. The rap sheet will start to grow in length. Some topics will repeat themselves, but gaps will also appear. These gaps can be addressed as data collection is ongoing. Different types of wrap sheets can be created. One for each researcher, each study site, population, or to capture changes over time. The wrap sheet can be used to discuss emerging findings and obtain feedback from members of the team or stakeholders, prompting changes in the study design. If changes are made in the rap sheet, all researchers should make the same changes to maintain consistency. Rap sheets help create a quick summary of findings, but they also guide researchers as they set out to conduct more in-depth analyses. 
There are many creative ways to use rap sheets. Visit our website for more information. Um, all right, so I would say that these rap sheets were the thing that um, brought it together um, because they, and I'd never used anything like this before. Um, this is a preprint also, you know, like research in action, um, rapid methods in action. Um, the, because um, usually I'd just been like, well, you collect your data and then you kind of go through, you use your kind of, um, either you're just doing it like old fashioned and you're just thinking about it and you're coming up with your kind of analysis frames or you're using your kind of NVivo software and you load all the data, you need to have the transcripts and you load it all in and you might have written up your notes. But this was really like, you do the interview, as you're doing the interview, you're writing some notes. As soon as you've finished an interview, you fill in this sheet, which has got like a few key categories that maybe the research team has decided are, are important or informing the early stages of the research. And then like, they're all shared and stored in one place. So you read each other's, like as in this team, everyone's collecting different bits of data. And then, um, so then you're kind of learning. It's just, it's essentially a way of sharing notes and ideas quickly. And it, um, yeah, it was like, it was very helpful. It was quite chaotic. It's kind of hard to keep on top of. Everyone really needs to be very involved all the time, reading each other's stuff. And then like, like the video said, it's kind of, if you make a change, it then has to be consistent across the whole project. But they are, I actually think we could do more of that. It's very, uh, some of this stuff we should maybe just bring into like routine qualitative work, even if it's not, um, doesn't have to be rapid because it's actually just like a good way to inform everyone about what's happening. But I would recommend kind of looking at some of this, like this paper um, and things like that, because I think this is probably the way, this is one of the hardest things to get on top of, but I think this is actually one of the quickest ways. This is where the speed comes from for me. Um, but yeah, it's not um, that straightforward because, you know, this, this question of determining the scope and focus is is tricky like you know sometimes you might want to ask a bigger question about like you know not just like um for instance with the mobile um antiretroviral treatment units it's not just like oh well are they acceptable but it's like you know why are some more some people getting um more like more exposed to hiv than other people that's a very different type of question um which might require different types of methods um and this idea about who's setting the agenda, if it's very kind of like outcome focused research, then you're really kind of, are you actually, well, I suppose I'll go on to this. Are you going to be kind of, as uh, the, the researcher setting the agenda is like a kind of policy actor setting the agenda and like, do you need to ask questions of that process? Um, I've discussed the kind of bureaucratic delays, particularly with funding and publishing. Stuff like life getting in the way, as in like, I mean, we are, with rapid methods, it's really full on because it's going to be done quickly and like you know you read to it's kind of like on it's like rocket powered and so if you've just got other things going on you know if you've got like you know it could be anything anything else happening in your life that just make, means you have to slow down in general it there isn't a lot of scope in a rapid project to kind of take time out so that is it requires a lot of the researcher I think and then this question about who ends up participating, like these, this kind of low-hanging fruit issue. And then, yeah, the thing that really like kind of 
I'm always thinking about is like, what's research doing? Is it meant to be informing a change that's already happening? Is it meant to be critiquing it and, and you know, trying to offer, you know, as a kind of constructive uh, criticism or as like a, you know, as a, as a more active one? Or actually, or sometimes are we trying to reimagine things? Are we trying to reframe processes? Are we trying to say that's not the question that we should be asking? We should be asking this one. So I think rapid stuff can do all of those things, but I think you just need to be be thoughtful about kind of how. Okay, and then this is just, how long have we got? I'll just do like a bit of a tour through um, three projects that I was involved in and what went well and what didn't. Uh, so this one was the one that did technically go well. Um, that like we, you know, so this was like, you can see, this was um, interviewing healthcare workers at the very start of the pandemic. This was the one where I was like, please let me help you. I'll do anything. And we managed to get things through really quickly because like I knew the person on the ethics board in like the hospital I was associated with. So that got through really quickly. And I also knew people who worked in the hospital. So we were able to recruit them really quickly. So we actually did the data collection very quickly. And that will have that would have been in April. And then we did actually write this paper in like a month, you know, so it was received in May. But then it didn't get published until November, you know, so that's through all the review process. But this did technically go well. But I was like really knackered. This was like all times a day and night. And then like multiple interviews with people who were having a really traumatic time. Uh, like to, you know, I wouldn't usually recommend doing many, like more than one interview in a day. And I was just doing like several. So that was, it came with some costs, but I was like this, I could see how it worked in that setting. The three sources that you teased at the end. The three sources. Oh, it was um, social media, uh, policy documents, and uh, interviews with the three sources. Yes, yeah, sorry, that was like a little sneak preview there. Um, and then I actually then spent like absolutely much longer asking slightly more like critical questions in a different paper, which was really about like how, how these, like why people were so traumatized and burdened and kind of what that meant about kind of patient clinician relationships so obviously this happened so much later still in some ways timely for research considering that was still kind of like less than a less than a year but then for me I felt like everything else had gone so quickly and this was much slower so again it's like this sense of like what, how how quick are we talking is like rapid research um so this was another project I was involved in which was about um kind of how uh, lockdowns affected um, access to domestic violence services um, and like uh, studying primary care. And so this one kind of started quickly. Everyone was really up for it and it was meant to be a year and it was a rapid research fund. But then the grant process, it was really slow decision process. And then naturally it was really difficult to recruit people because like primary care was, everyone was knackered and delivering the vaccine program. And also we had like, we were using all of these rapid methods, but everyone was doing it like one day a week. And we had all of these other projects. And actually it was, it was really tricky, this idea about having a focused research question. It was really difficult to, to decide exactly what we were looking at. And peer review took ages. But actually, in some ways, this is the work in, that I'm involved in in the kind of domestic violence sphere. It's very much co-produced. We work with all the users of the knowledge. They were involved in the study in the research like one of the authors is kind of she works for one of the, like the big domestic violence charities so even though we weren't able to report quickly we were like sharing the findings of the research at, even at the you know the points where it was going slowly and then um this one 
So this one was interesting because there's like, you know, lots of these, um, lots of different countries were kind of all, which, you know, we're in a collaboration. We're all collecting these patient interviews about um, COVID. And we were like, we've already got the data. We'll just analyze it. We'll just compare these different experiences across countries. And it's taken like three years to do that work because it's been so complicated trying to like unpick, you know, so the, the one paper there, which is about um, kind of how uh, race and racism and inequality was expressed about, like in relation to the um, pandemic. And this one is about stigma. And these are actually like thinking about these issues in different kind of like cross-cultural contexts just took like stages and stages of analysis. So you cannot do this kind of very rapid bit there. So... That was slow, but learned a lot through this process. Um, okay, so to finish off, should we speed up or slow down? Because um, being slow is good too. So for instance, if you want to see how an issue is evolving and just be with it as it changes. Um, and this idea when you actually don't know what the question is. Like a lot of the time, I don't know what the question is that I'm trying to ask of something um, when I get started on a research project. And also, if you're kind of going to take a critical position, you might want to take a bit longer so you can get to know it and understand how you're going to... It might be easier to, easier to give advice, but it's harder to give criticism to, to kind of stakeholders and decision makers. And also, if you're trying to do this work, of, you want to know how it works instead of if it works. Because, you know, like with the trial recruitment processes, you might be like, OK, it does work. People find it acceptable. But if you want to know why they do or how or like how that fits in with a conception of, of kind of treatment or something else then that's that's a different kind of question and also if you like don't know what you're doing like I often am doing you know new things like there's things that I can do you know I've done a hundred times I can do them really easily but if it's something that's new to me then going slower is, is a bit better I think and this idea about when it's like heavy like those I should not have just been doing those um traumatic interviews with all those like uh, beleaguered healthcare researchers so quickly uh, but you know there was that sense of urgency but actually I, I also needed time to be able to process that too and then the sense of like just because we could go quicker like should we so I love Trisha Hersey she runs this thing called um, the NAP ministry anyway but she's like a big political person around like rest and rest as kind of um, life is always trying to grind us down you know it's a bit kind of anti-capitalist but ultimately just because we could go quicker doesn't mean that we should like there are increasingly unrealistic expectations from funders and from universities that like because you someone else did it quickly means that you should too and we are only human and it doesn't mean you know i think hopefully you would see from this that speedy doesn't necessarily mean it's sloppy there's ways to be rigorous with it but it also doesn't mean it's going to be impactful you know actually you could do slow impactful work you can do quick impactful work that is like a separate issue. So it's not guaranteed you're going to have impact from doing it quicker. Um, and this idea that like, hopefully the research that we do brings us some element of joy or like, even if it's not like the happiest topic, it's like actually, you know, we're getting, we're growing from it. We're like contributing something. And it, but it also takes a lot from us, and particularly qualitative work. You have to put yourself into it. And so that kind of balance of, of kind of what time means for you. And I think... I like to think the contribution I could make from doing research is like imagining how systems could work differently or how an issue could be approached differently or like people could be involved in something differently. And you can't really do, or maybe you can, I can't do that quickly. That takes me quite a lot of time and kind of thought and conversation and interaction. So I think that that is, it depends again on the kind of questions that we're asking. 
yeah and this is the sense of like I think like the, this whole thing is motivated by the idea that qualitative research to be taken seriously to be involved in these big decisions needs to be done quickly otherwise like we, we haven't got anything to bring it's like we need to get these findings in quickly but I feel like it's that actually like how could we consider how could we be considered expert and credible and that like the knowledge about qualitative research and qualitative research processes would get us a seat at the table rather than having to deliver things quickly because I just think it's not equivalent the things you can do crunching numbers versus kind of like understanding experiences of the world so to conclude our rapid methods right for the job these are the things that hopefully might give you a bit of advice about how to approach it um this question of timeliness you know what are you actually trying to achieve uh when do you want to achieve that like when does it matter um like what can you influence by doing that um scale like if you're doing something massive it's hard to do that quickly um if you want to do something a bit smaller then that's going to work and kind of you know iteration can you do a few different small things and build up from them in these kind of rapid cycles of questions and analysis um and that you don't have to do rapid you could do participatory instead like participatory gets to the same kind of influence if that's what you're interested in and then i think it, what's really important like i said is about like your positionality like how close are you to the communities the people the issues that you want to do the research with like if you don't have access to them you're not going to be able to do it quickly and who is excluded from that approach too and what experience do you and the other people you're working with have can they speed things up you know because it feels rubbish to do things badly so um so it's like are people actually kind of equipped to do things quickly and then um oh i think this is also important too like are they actually right for you does anyone know who this horse is this famous horse is um to uh the left of the picture three times grand national winner red rum it's a, a liverpool legend um and uh yeah the only horse to win the grand national three times loved running quickly absolutely loved it built for it i feel like i'm more like your kind of tiny little pony with that short legs i actually can't go that quickly um and i think as well as it's like our oh, rapid methods right for the project it's like does it work like what kind of person are you i hate agency it actually stresses me out i the one of the reasons why i moved from those policy jobs those kind of like uh charity jobs i described at the beginning was everything was a bit too quick for me i wanted to be able to think about it so actually rapid methods whilst they're sometimes important on actually the person that i am so i think you don't have to do rapid methods if they aren't like your thing they're not like better than other methods they're just suited to different types of questions um so it's okay to be the little fluffy pony um and if you want to find out more i would really mostly recommend that you go to this the, the people at real they do these really cheap rapid courses it's like 65 pounds i don't know if you've ever been on any of them but they're they're really cheap they're really good it's with like your main woman cecilia and uh they also just have loads of resources and they've got all of like the papers that they've published and stuff and also i've got some inside intel um there's going to be um reporting guidance which will help also because that almost just like puts out the stages of what you need to do so there's going to be rapid methods in general from real and then the who are going to be putting out some um specific guidance about how you respond how you do rapid methods in epidemics and then you can ask me but i think i've i've given you everything that i know
uh, though I could tell you more about the things where it's you know gone right and gone wrong at other times. And that's it. If you've got any questions, any further questions.